Um, I, I want to tell I want to tell you some of my story because um, I think it's going to really help us get into what God has for us in in Micah tonight, and is where we're going to be in the prophet of, of Micah. Have any any good kids in the room? Anybody grow up a good kid? Right? You were either a good kid or a bad kid. Which one were you? Raise your hand. Okay? It should be about 50-50. There's just like timidity in this room. Don't be afraid to be like, I was a good kid. All right? Any good kids? Okay. Any good kid? We got our issues too. We need the gospel. Right? Um, I was a good kid. I, I was. I, I grew up a, a pretty good kid. Um, my, I was my dad's fourth um, and my mom's only. And so I kind of had this unique position of being an only child and a youngest child at the same time, right? Um, fortunately, my mom had nothing to do with spoiling me. She wanted nothing of that. Um, but, but my dad told me at times, he's like, you, you kind of raised yourself. Like, you were just easy. Like, you, you kind of always did the right thing, and uh, we, we never had to get into you too much. And, you know, at, at a certain point, like, being the good kid kind of becomes your identity, Right? And then what happens when, when there's something bad? It's like, but I'm the good kid, right? And you've had that experience? It's like, I can't, I can't do something bad or I can't, be, I can't let people know I've done something bad or I can't let this thing that's in me out because then people won't think I'm the good kid because I'm the good kid, right? And all this is just total, I'm not thinking in of this when I'm like 10 years old, I promise you, but it's, it's just in there, right? And and for me, my encounter with God was a, a good kid having a revelation of the goodness of God. And I'll never forget it. I was at a church camp in a little A-frame chapel with a stone wall with a big white cross on it. It was a Thursday night. I'm like the most typical youth group kid like ever, right? Um, Thursday night, you know, they're, they're making the call and I don't remember what was said. I don't remember who spoke. I don't remember what music was played. Uh, it was really old music that you guys probably wouldn't even know. Um, I don't remember any of that. What I remember is that afterwards when they gave us the opportunity to respond and I was sitting toward the back, that I just, I felt what I can only describe, I had an encounter with God where I felt the weight of God. You know, the word glory in Hebrew is chabod and it, it, it actually means weight or weightiness. There's a heaviness, right, to the, to the presence of God, to the person of who he is. And this good kid, you know, from Northwest Houston just had been kind of living my own life and doing my own thing and thought I was okay and thought I didn't really need God. And all of a sudden, it was like God just dropped his glory on me and simultaneously, I felt the weight of my sin. I had this revelation of just how not good I was because I was getting a revelation of how good God was. And all of a sudden, I, I, it was like I was compelled, I was compelled to respond. I don't even, I don't even remember it. That I just know I was at the front of that room on my face weeping and God was just pouring out his love on me. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life and that was the beginning of a good kid learning to live dependently on a good God. And I'm still a good kid. I'm st I, I still wrestle with that. Like that's still my journey and it's still my story. And in a lot of ways, it, it, it became even more a seminal part of my story because 
Um, I don't know if any of you are any optimists in the room. Got any optimists? Yeah? Okay. I'm also an optimist. So I'm a good kid and I'm an optimist, right? So I'm good. Everything's good. We're all good. Let's not talk about anything bad. Let's not feel our feels. Let's not go there. Let's just all be happy and that's good. And if you're not happy, have a nice life, right? Like, it's kind of it. That's kind of it. Not my, I didn't do that intentionally, but that's kind of been my posture for, for a lot of my life. And, and um, uh, I got connected with Antioch in Boston. It's actually how I know Travis and Joy. And eventually ended up coming down to be a part of a church plant in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was there for 12 years, eight of that, which I was on staff, four of that, um, I was also on staff, but I was the lead pastor. Um, and in transitioning from being on staff to becoming the lead pastor, just to really briefly condense my story, um, I, I suffered a lot. I, I experienced the loss of, of some really, really deep friendships, people that I'd walked with a really long time. And in the course of about six or eight months, I, I had experienced deep betrayal and accusation um, and abandonment. And some of that was on me, and a lot of it wasn't. It wasn't my fault, um, but a lot of it was. And um, being, being an optimist and being a good kid, like my, my modus operandi there was like, I'm just gonna keep going. Like, right, I've got this church to lead, and like I'd never suffered anything like this. Like within, I mean, a few months, I had lost all my closest friends. Um, in really painful and devastating ways. Um, and rather than like feel that and grieve, I try to just go, just keep going. And it worked for a while, right? Like you can kind of throw yourself into work, you can throw yourself into life, you can give yourself to something, especially if it's something you believe in and it's something that's good and it, and it really will kind of carry you for a while. But eventually uh, about two years in, you know, I had experienced this transition as I came into leadership, and it was kind of like I got our church to this place where it was stable and healthy and growing, and got, and it was almost like my soul was like, okay, you did it. Now you got to deal with all this. <laughs> and I mean, it was like in a moment, I actually had a meeting with one of these people who, who had really hurt me. And the meeting went okay. In the course of that meeting, this guy, he told me four or five times that he loved me, um, which I'm a person, like, I say I love you to everybody. Like, me and Adam Reed, like, we're, like, we'll t- I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? I love you. You know, like, and, but there was just, this, this guy had, had hurt me probably more deeply than anybody has ever hurt me in my life. And I don't know that he actually knew that. Um, but every, it was like every time he said I love you, it was like driving a stake into my heart. Um, and by about the fourth or fifth time he said it, like, I was like, I'm about to hit this guy. <laughs> like, like, that's not me either, right? I'm the good kid, right? I'm like, I'm about to punch this guy in the face. Like, and we walked out, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Whatever, you go your way. I'll go my way. There wasn't really any, like, major resolution. But within about a week, the, the, the best way I can describe it is, like, the bottom just fell out of my soul. Um, and all that optimism that I just naturally like lived in, the exuberance, the joyfulness, the excitement and enthusiasm that seemed to just be like, like an operating file on my computer. It's like I went to click the EXE and it was just like that no, file not found. 
Like, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, this is my operating system. What are you talking about, file not found? Like, this is like who I am, right? Um, and I, I just, my life like started just coming unraveled. Um, and, and I can tell you guys more of that story if, if that's something you, you wanna hear more, but I wanna actually kinda skip ahead a little bit through the nitty gritty because what I, what I wanna speak to is what, what happened in that place. Well, essentially what I had done is I just stuffed all this grief down in my soul and I hadn't dealt with it. I hadn't walked through it. I hadn't felt it. I hadn't met God there. And the bill comes due, right? Like that, that's how our souls work. We can't run from those things. Like they, they're in it. They're gonna come out some way. We're, gonna either, we're either gonna transmit them some way to other people or, or we're gonna meet God in them and they're gonna transform us. Those are the two options. And, and so this journey for me was a journey of God beginning or not beginning to reveal. Like I couldn't escape that uh, kind of the worst of me, if that makes sense. This, this part of me that had been able to kind of mask over and hide uh, these parts of me that I didn't want to see was gone. I went to click the file and it didn't exist. I couldn't be enthusiastic. I couldn't be joyful. I couldn't be those things. And it was, and honestly, it was a mercy of God. God was like, I'm gonna take this, this part away from you because you have to face this, Greg. You, you have to go, why? Because I'm merciful and good and I, that is killing you. It's a cancer in your soul and you can't keep ignoring it. You need, you need to go there with me. And, and so I, I'm still leading a church. I've got an amazing team of elders. They've like pared back my schedule by this point. Basically all I'm doing is preaching and teaching, meeting with some people and trying to get healthy and meet with God. And that's super hard to do because what God does, and, and in this time, God is doing incredible things in our church. We're seeing people get healed. We're seeing people get saved. We're, I mean, the power of just like what we just experienced like that, like Sunday mornings, it would just be like, boom, God would fall. Incredible. I would get up to preach some weeks, and I would have like two things down on a piece of paper, and then the Spirit of God would just come and just be like, whoa. You know, like we're, I'm just preaching, and I'm like, this is not me. This is 100% God. Um, so incredible, powerful things happening, and all the while they're happening, it's like, it's not actually really moving the needle for me. Like, I'm not actually, I'm happy, I'm glad it's happening, I'm thankful for my people experiencing it, but my, like, needle's not really moving. And the picture that God gave me was of him in this room, it was Jesus in this room full of cardboard, like, moving boxes, and it was like this room I'd never been in, and it was full, like, just floor to ceiling, everywhere, all these boxes, and Jesus was in the room sitting almost like on a throne on these boxes. And in this picture that God gave me, I immediately realized those boxes are, are like my undealt with pain. Like this is all my junk in here that I need to go unpackage. And I, and I heard the voice of God in my heart and he said, if you wanna meet with me and you wanna encounter me, you know where to find me. really, God? <laughs> like, that's where you want to meet with me? But I needed that. The, the good kid who'd grown up doing good things and who in so many ways believed himself to be good 
needed to encounter the goodness of God in my bad. I needed to recognize and I needed a revelation that he's the same God in the worst of me as he is in the best of me. When I perform, when I hit all the right notes, when I do it all right, he's the same God as when I completely fall on my face, when I have nothing to give, when I'm totally empty, and when my life's falling apart. He's the same. And there's something I learned. It's like if I can meet with God in my deepest and my darkest and my worst, if I can encounter him there and he is there and he will meet with me and he loves me there, then where is he not? Where is he not? If he's there and he loves me there, then when and where and how does he not love me, right? And I needed that. I needed that revelation. And then, you know, there's even another layer of revelation that God gave me later where I was realizing God was giving me this picture of so much of the love I'd given. Like, I, I just, I love to love people. I love, like, I really genuinely do. Like, I have a friend, he's like, Greg, I feel like I'm with you. It's just like, love, you know? Like, I'm like, thank you, that means a lot to me. You know, but, but this revelation that God gave me that so many of the times I was loving people, it actually, in, in some ways, wasn't about loving them. It was about them feeling loved, and then giving back to me some kind of response or affirmation or, or like it made me feel good, right? Like, oh, I'm good at this loving people thing, and that's what it's all about, so, you know? And, and so here's the revelation that I got. Like, not only did God meet me in my worst, but even my best was polluted. Even my best wasn't actually pure, and if it's impure at all, it's impure, right? Like, and so, man, and praise God. Like, he, this is just how he operates. He takes our broken offerings all the time, and he uses them to, to impact and to love people, right? So we're always giving impure offerings. There's always mixed motives in our hearts, or almost always mixed motives in our hearts. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, right? Doesn't mean we don't love. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with us trying to do that. Like, we're all on a journey being with God as we go. But Isaiah 64, 6, right? It says that, that, that all of our righteous deeds, right? We've all, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Wow. Okay. I need to move on because I'm like not very far down my notes, but I get telling stories, right? But the good news is this. This is the gospel. God sees us at, a, at our worst and loves us with his best. He meets us in our deepest and our darkest and our most broken, and what he meets us with there is Jesus. While we were enemies, while we were opposed to God, while we were resistant to God, while we harbored pride and unforgiveness and arrogance and all these things. In that place, God met us. And not did he just meet us, what he met us with was his best. He gave us Jesus in that place. Praise God. That's good news. That's good news. Anyone, anyone just like, I just, just go, like, hey, pressure's off. The pressure's, that's what the gospel does. It lifts the pressure to perform off of our lives, amen? Like, I don't have to perform for God. Like, he meets me at my worst, and he gives me his very best. 
So we're gonna, we're gonna look at what this means practically a little bit for our lives. We're gonna be in the book of Micah, which in the Old Testament, it's one of those little prophets right in there with Obadiah and Amos. I know all of you were just reading right through these yesterday. Um, I wanna, I wanna give us a little bit of short context as we jump into it, okay? Micah's a prophet, and what are prophets doing? Where do they fall in the story of Israel, okay? Israel, what they did was they made a covenant with God. This covenant was to walk with him, love him, obey his commands, essentially be salt and light to the earth, right? That God was establishing them to be this beacon of his righteousness and his love. That the rest of the world, broken as it was and is, would look at Israel and would say, there's something about them that's not like anybody else. There's a blessing on them. There's a favor on them. There's holiness on them. Like I, that, we, that people would encounter Israel and they would come to God through Israel. And with that covenant, it was, a, it was like a contract. It was a legal thing where God is saying, I'm promising to do these things. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna lead you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna guide. I'm gonna guide you. All the things that, of who God is, right? I, God's like, I'm giving you myself. And here's what I want from you. Right, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like That's what I'm asking of you. I'm asking you to be a, a, a people set apart for me, right? But what happens over time, you, you have a pretty, pretty sweet like glory era where Israel's doing it pretty well. They cross the River Jordan. They conquest in the promised land, right? They, they, they establish a kingdom. This is all after Moses, right? And David comes to be king, and it, those are like the glory years, David and Solomon, where it's like they're doing it. They're loving God. They're living pretty righteously. There's favor on them, especially Solomon. Like they're, like they're just, they're like the crown jewel of, of humanity, and then after Solomon, it goes downhill pretty fast, right? And you have kind of one unrighteous king after another, and they're all breaking covenant. They're all doing bad things for the most part. There's a couple reformers that come through and kind of it's doing this, and every once in a while you get a good king, and he's like, and then it's like, you know, so it's kind of doing this thing. But it's always down, right? And the prophets are coming, and the prophet, the job of the prophet is essentially to bring the people of Israel to court. That's their job. They're in a covenant. It's a legal contract between them and God, and they're breaking this covenant. And the prophet's job is to say, you are breaking this covenant, and because you are breaking it, there are consequences that have been outlined, right? Just like if we agree to a contract and we break that contract, right? Like if you get out of your lease early, well, there's a consequence for that, right? Like you're gonna pay the remaining six months or whatever it is. Same thing, it's like, okay, and so Micah's standing up, and he, the, the people of Israel have not been exiled yet, and he's trying to prevent them from losing their kingdom. And he's saying, Israel, listen. Like, will you listen? Will you turn from these evil ways? And will you adjust and adapt your life? Okay, and so in Micah 6, 8, that's what we're running into. Um, we're running into kind of the back end of, of Micah's plea here to the Israelites. Um, and, this is, and, this is what he, and this is what he says right here. So there's a couple parts here that I want us to see, okay? So I want you to imagine this is a court setting, okay? So here's God, he's a judge, he's on in the, in the throne, he's got the robe on, he's got the gavel, okay? And then here's Israel over here, they're kind of the defendant, 
And you've got Micah over here, and he's kind of the prophet plaintiff. He's the one like bringing the charges, so to speak, against Israel, right? So here's verse six, uh, chapter six, verse one. It says this. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. So here's God. He's calling court into session. All rise, right? Like, hey, everybody, court, the, the, the case, the trial is beginning, right? And now he's gonna call some witnesses, right? He already called the hills and the mountains, okay? Verse two, hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you, are, and you enduring fountains of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, man. Okay, that sounds pretty serious. Have you, have you ever been in like a court, like with a judge? Anybody? It's, it's kind of intimidating, isn't it? Like it, they're like, they are in charge and what they say goes. Like if they're like, throw them in jail for 30 days. It's not like, well, I wanna ask somebody else. It's like, no, that's the judge. Like once he says it, it's done. Like he judged you, like that's it, right? Um, and, and so here's God, he's calling these witnesses and he's saying, I'm gonna contend with Israel. I'm about to bring them to trial. I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically plead my case with them. Verse three, okay? Three through five, God is essentially, as he's bringing them to trial, he's reminding them that he's kept his end of the covenant. He says, oh my people, what have I done to you? Right, like why, why, have you, why have you broken covenant? Was it something I did? I don't think so. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So he's calling them to remember his salvation. Hey, remember I saved you. Remember I rescued you. Remember I've been your God all this time. And the people of Israel know they're busted, right? And so here's Micah's response on their behalf. Verse six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So they're like, they're pleading guilty. They're like, guilty as charged. And how do we make this right, God? And here's God's response, and it's the gospel. Micah writes, and he has told you, O man, what is good. You've probably heard this before. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I want you to notice what's not there. They've broken covenant. They failed in basically every way possible. They were not the good kids. <laughs> right? They were the bad, rebellious kids, right, who went off and did it completely their own way. And God's brought them to judgment, and he's pled the, the case before them, and their responses were guilty. And here's God with the gavel, and it's time for judgment. It's time for sentencing. And the response is, he's told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. This is like a second chance, a third chance, a 10th, a 20th chance that God's extending 
Do you see the mercy? Do you see what they're not getting? They're not getting the hammer of justice. They're not getting the, the it's the gospel right here. So, so I wanna talk about these things that God is calling us to because I actually believe for your generation, um, I, I've just felt as I pray and ask God, I'm like, God, what do you have? What do you have for our students? Teens, 20s, a, a new generation, right? That's about to sort of take the reins of culture and society. What do you have for them? And I felt like God gave me this verse for you. Because in a lot of ways, your story and what you're facing right now is a lot like what Israel is facing. Like our country's a hot mess. We were this glorious, beautiful thing at one time, right? And now it's like a flaming dumpster of, it's not, like I love our nation, hear me rightly. I'm not trying to be like, woe is me. But I know this is what you feel at times. That you're being handed a plate and being told it's dinner and it's like this steaming pile of poop. And you're like, I don't wanna eat that. Can I have something else? Like, is there anything else on the menu here? Like, I don't, I feel that sometimes. I'm like, what has happened? Like, I don't want, I don't want these things that are happening, right? So I wanna talk because I, 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 there's a couple places of encouragement. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them right now to you. Um, you know, I think in some ways that um, your generation has been labeled in a lot of ways. Um, and some of them fairly, but without understanding or compassion, and some of them unfairly. Um, you know, I know you maybe feel like you've been labeled as apathetic or impatient um, or distracted or soft or entitled. Um, I feel like just about every generation gets labeled that by older generations at some point. But what I wanna say to each and every one of you in this room is that is not who you are. It's not who you are. And as the family of God, uh, can I just say, as the family of God, that's not how we're going to choose to see you or interact with you or treat you because that's not who you are. You're sons and daughters of the living God. So I just wanna say, like, as the church, I don't know if I can speak for all of the big C church, um, but what I wanna say is that we believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in you. And for the ways that you don't feel believed in, the ways that you don't feel seen and understood and heard, uh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But I don't want that to stifle what God has for you and what you have to offer. Not just the world, maybe I'm starting backwards because I'm starting with the biggest thing, but there, there's something in you that you have to offer the church that the church desperately needs. We need you. We need Gen Z to rise up and we need them to give their very best to the church because the church is gonna be completely lost without you in about five or 10 years, genuinely. <laughs> We're not gonna know how to reach the world or the culture without you. So I wanna say that. You're like, I'm just, there's a calling on your generation. God is calling you up. God's calling you up. He, he, you are not a victim 
of the circumstances. You're not a victim of this world that you maybe feel like you're being handed. You're actually, you're, you're the exact opposite. You're God's answer to the world that you're being handed. Like, think about that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Scripture says that before creation ever existed, like, he thought of you. He knew you. He knew your personality. He knew your makeup. He knew all of those things. He knew, he knew how he would craft you and what you would look like and what your personality would be. He didn't only know that. He knew where in time he would place you. He knew your ethnicity. He knew your nationality. He knew what city you'd be from. All those things are intentional from God. So you existing now in this time, in this place, you breathing air as an American citizen in, in 2021 is not accidental, it's not happenstance, it's the will of God. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, all of these things that we're seeing and experiencing in the world, God's like, and you're the ones I've called to be the church in this time. Now, I wanna say something to you in that, right? I, I wanna say this, <laughs> the world needs you. But even as I say that, I wanna say the other side of that, um, which is what the world really needs is Jesus. What the world needs is Jesus. Because if you try to take on global warming and you know pandemics and racial inequity and gender confusion and healthcare crisis and education costs, and politics and the most divided our nation's ever been since 1863. Like, if you try to take all of that on, like, no. Like, it's going to crush you, right? It's no surprise that we're seeing anxiety and depression and all these things skyrocketing like never before because the problems are skyrocketing never before. And the information is more ubiquitous and accessible than ever before. So our problems aren't local. It used to be like a problem was like, like your neighbor down the street was sick, right? Now our problems are like, you know, there's rioting in like Taiwan and you know, like, like why, I don't know anything about Taiwan. I know a lot about Taiwan, but you get what I mean. Like, like our problems are global now because our world is global. And so there's, you know, you go any point anywhere in the world at any time, and there is a problem somewhere. There are a lot of problems everywhere, right? There are a lot of big problems happening, and they're getting condensed down into our everyday world. So maybe one encouragement I would have for you is ingest less news. <laughs> ingest more scripture and ingest less news. I promise you if something major is happening that you need to know about, you'll find out about it. I promise, right? Okay, that was a very side tangent. Um, so, you know, you, you guys are, this, this was Israel. This was Micah. Micah was, could have been talking to you, right? I mean, this was Israel. They were a hot mess. It was falling apart. All these things that I just read off, so many of them were true about their situation. And Micah's saying, hey, God's called you, this generation, to rise up and to be the answer and to change the tide of this covenant that's about to be so fractured that you're gonna have to be exiled. And God's saying, rise up, or Micah's saying, rise up, church. And here's how you do it. You do justice, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. 
Like, forget about fixing all the world's problems. Forget about finding a cure for COVID. Forget about, you know, whatever. Like, solving every racial inequity out there. Like, hey, will you do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? If you, if you can do that, like, it's gonna, it's gonna change the stem of the tide, the tide of the stem, however you say that, okay? So here, here I wanna touch real quickly on a couple things, and then we're gonna close, like, um, Humility, what is humility? Let's talk about it, because it's actually the baseline for these things, right? Justice and mercy or compassion are actually like gifts and strengths of your generation. It's why I feel like this is a word for you. You do justice well, you do compassion well. But when we leave out humility from those two things, they get sideways real fast, right? What, because what is, what is humility? Humility is an active awareness and outworking of our position before Christ. Humility is an active awareness of our position before Christ and an outworking of that position in our lives. So this is what I mean by that. Like, it's, it's this moment by moment awareness of who I am in relation to God and who God is in relation to me. It's living in light. It's like that encounter that I had when I was 13 years old. Like, it's, it's recognizing I'm not good. Apart from God, I have nothing. I can do nothing. That's what humility is. It's, it's an utter dependence upon God. It's realizing who he is and realizing who I am. And that goes both ways. So humility, we can, we can get a little sideways. Like, we can, get, um, we can get the arrogance of, like, I don't need God. I'm good without him. That's obviously not humility. We can also get like the self-depreciation, right? Where it's like, I'm no good and I'm terrible and I'm worthless. That's not humility either, right? And that's not healthy. Humility is a right understanding of the glory and the magnitude, just what we were experiencing just a minute ago when we were worshiping. God, you are worth everything. You're above everything. And you died for me. Whoa. Okay, wait, so there's value on your life. <laughs> a lot of it. Like, there couldn't be more value on your life. The value of your life was God himself. That's pretty valuable, right? But, you're, but you have no value apart from the value that God's given you. So there, that goes back to the humility, right? Apart from you, <laughs> I, you've, you're the one who's given me the value, right? Like, I, I, yeah, okay, I think you got it. Okay, so it's about knowing our position. I, I went on an outreach. I was probably just a little bit older than, than you guys. I was like 25 years old in Knoxville. We went to the University of North Carolina and we were just loving on students, meeting students, sharing the gospel. We had a church that had just planted there in Raleigh-Durham. And uh, so we're out on campus, we're loving people. And um, we decide one night, we're like, hey, let's go to the intramural fields and just see if there's like something going on and we can jump in and meet some people. So there's, a, there's an ultimate Frisbee game going on. I'm like, done, I'm in. Like, this is the kingdom of God playing ultimate Frisbee, right? So I get out there. Um, I'm a pretty competitive person. Um, and I'm also a pretty like vocal uh, person. Um, I'm kind of like an on-field coach. I've like really had to like learn not to be that, right? And I'm still bad at it, right? And so I'm out there and I'm running around and I'm like telling people what to do. I'm like, hey, go over here. Hey, when that happens, like don't do this, da 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 And I'm like, I keep talking to this one guy and finally like one of the other college students, he like runs over to me 
And he just leans over. He was actually like really pretty kind about it. He could have been a jerk about it. He goes, hey, just so you know, that guy you keep talking to, um, he's the captain of the ultimate Frisbee team at UNC. I was like, oh, <laughs> I should stop telling him what to do. <laughs> like foot and mouth, right? Like knowing your position, right? Who was I? I was a guest who didn't know these people, who was out on their field playing ultimate with them because I was invited to do that, right? And here I am telling like probably the most knowledgeable person on the field how to play the thing that he played every day, right? So this is what we do. This, that's what humility is, right? It's, it's recognizing like who we are in, in every context and, and acting and living accordingly. Uh, all right, so, so that's the baseline for what I wanna talk to here, okay? So now what is he calling us to? In light of humility, in, in light of our position before Christ and in Christ, he's calling us to live two things out. He's calling us to do justice. So God's called you to such a time as this. Your generation's being called to see all the things that are broken and to be a part of God's yes to that. Because God wants to heal a broken land. And he wants to use us to do it. That, that's the, the beauty of the gospel is we don't, come to Jesus and just kind of like sit on the sidelines and like watch him do his thing. He's like, no son, no daughter, get up. I'm gonna do it with you. Like you're, you're gonna be a part of this incredible miracle that I wanna work in the earth. Like you're a critical part of it. You get to be a part of my story. Like it's my glory and it's all me that's doing it, but I'm gonna share it with you. Isn't that amazing? Like what a good father. Right? Have you ever just like seen, been a part of God doing something unbelievable in somebody's life and you just walk away and you're like, that was like the greatest privilege I've ever been a part of. Like, wow, thank you, God. You know, like why would you include me in that? Just because he loves us, right? Because he, he wants to move through us. Second Corinthians chapter 17, or chapter five, verse 17 and 18, says that we're, um, we're being reconciled to God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So here, here it is. Here, here's the justice piece. He's reconciled us to himself. He's made it right between us and God. And then what does he do? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But it's really important to see the order there, right? God is reconciling us first, then we're bringing reconciliation into the world. And it can't go the other way. It, it, we can't reconcile the world, we can't make things right apart from Jesus. And what happens when we try to do justice without, without humility, when we try to do it without the Spirit of God in us, what we end up doing is making ourselves the judge. Right, We're the ones dictating what is right, what should and shouldn't happen, who should and shouldn't have it or be punished or whatever it may be. The culture becomes like, like this critical holier, that we, be, we become holier than thou. We become self-righteous. Like without humility, justice comes out all kinds of crooked. It comes out crooked in our culture. Our culture is, you know, culture is trying to do the kingdom of God without the king. That's what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to replicate the kingdom of heaven. 
where there's no pain, no suffering, no turmoil, no war, all those things that God promises us in Revelation, that's what the world's trying to get to. But they're trying to do it without the king. And, and so what happens is, is, is culture, apart from Jesus, they try to take up this justice cause, and it becomes this culture where it's really harsh, it's inhumane, it's, um, it's like emotionally charged, you guys feel that? Like it's outrage culture, right? Like everything is sets everybody off, and like if you're not outraged by it, then something's wrong with you, and then people are outraged at you for not being outraged at it, right? Have you felt that one? It's like if I don't post something on one of my social media deals about something, then someone's gonna be like, well, you don't support that? It's like, no, I just didn't feel like posting it on social media. Like, is that okay? Culture, when they do justice, the orientation is, is toward revenge and punishment, right? It was in like the most popular movies, Revolt, like John Wick. The entire movie, it's about justice. No, it's not, it's about revenge, <laughs> right? Like, like that's revenge, that's not the kingdom of God. Like that's not holy, it's cancel culture. It's, it's we're gonna ruin people and end people and we're gonna be judge, jury, and executioner in the moment. It's not the kingdom of God and it's not what he's calling you to. So what's he calling you to? And he, he's, firstly, he's calling you to personal righteousness, like justice starts with our own lives. It starts with integrity. It starts with transparency and humility and throwing ourselves upon the mercy of God. It starts with being wrecked by him, by how deeply we need him. Like that's what, that justice has to start here. Like we gotta get a revelation of, of the justice of God that's been poured out on Jesus on our behalf. And then that's got to be like a well that springs out of us to see what God has done for us and in us be realized in the world around us. And when justice comes out of that place, it, it's powerful. It, it transforms. Um, it's holy. And, and I would say this too. You know, Micah says, do justice. So what is justice? Justice is an action. It's not words it's not posts on social media, though that may be part of how God calls you to do it. I'm not saying if you post something on social media, you're not being a justice-oriented person. But, but God wants it to be something we carry out in our everyday lives. And so I wanna call you to that as, as a generation that God is calling to embody justice. Like, look for places to bring the justice of God in your everyday life. Before you solve all the world's problems, right, just start small. Like, see a place where it's, something is out of alignment, either in your own life, or your family's life, or your friend's life, or at school, and start to believe for that. Start to pray into that. Start to address that thing in practical, loving ways, and just see what God does, and see where he goes. It's good. All right, you're also called to love mercy called to love the loving kindness, the hesed of God. This is that word, it's like, it's the agape word of the Old Testament, right? Like the King James calls it loving kindness because they're like, they're, it means too much. Like we need, we need to add extra words. It can't just be love, it can't be kindness. It's loving kindness, mercy, sacrificial love. Like it's just, it's like this, it's God is what it is. It's the love of God. 
He's calling you to love his love. He's calling you to love mercy in the way that he gives it. And, and one of the things that I really wanna see happen at our church, and, and Adam Reed and I especially are really believing for this, um, that we would have a culture of grace. And I actually wanna say that a different way because we hear that word grace a lot. I wanna have a culture of failure in our church family. The church should be the place where it's the safest to fail, where we go for it and we miss it or we live lives and we miss it and you know, we, we, we're broken and we don't measure up or whatever, we fall. It should be the safest place in the world. It should be the place where like, when, when we do fall and when we do have brokenness to our li- in our lives, we should be like running to the church. Like, that's, that's what the church should feel like. Oh wait, that's my refuge. Like, I need my family. Like, I, need, I need to go find grace and acceptance and love and forgiveness in the family of God. And then I also need to be told, now rise and sin no more. Right, like that, that, that's what God is after in, in the church. And so, so I, just wanna, I just wanna communicate that. I wanna challenge you to be a, a people who walk that out. Like that, that's a calling on your life to move first in empathy and understanding and love, right? Like you're gonna, I, I discipled a guy, um, he was 23, 24 years old, led him to Jesus. I mean, Jesus led him to himself, really. Like I didn't do much in that one. And um, he, he, um, he, was, he was, had a girlfriend before he got saved and they were sleeping together. And so he gets saved, he gives his life to the Lord, right? So what should I do? Should I tell him to stop sleeping with his girlfriend? That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> but the Lord was like, no. Like, no. Like, get in the word, open it up, teach him to get in the word, open it up, and let me do the conviction. You love him, you show him hesed, and I will convict his heart. And wouldn't you know it, about two or three weeks later, he comes to me, we sit down for a discipleship time, and he's like, hey, Greg, like, I'm having this thought. Will you, like, tell me if this is right? He's like, I've, like, been reading my Bible. He's like, I think maybe I, I shouldn't be sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you don't say. Oh, yeah, where'd you get that from? You know, like, and we just had this incredible conversation. But can I just tell you, when God told him, when God can put the conviction on his heart, Right When God called him to act justly, it was so much easier than if I had told him that, right? Then it's not Greg trying to do that in his life. And so there's just this place of compassion where we don't have to feel like we have to run around and police people's lives, especially unbelievers. Like that, it should not, unless they're just like desperately hurting themselves or something like that, then we can come in love and say like, Hey, I see you're living this way, and I'm, I'm worried about you. Like, see, there's the pastoral heart there. But man, if we're standing on soapboxes, and if we're running around pointing fingers, like, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The kindness of God leads people to repentance. It's the kindness of God. It's the hesed of God that leads to repentance. 
And so we have to embody that. But, but compassion, I wanna say this, compassion is not permission. And that's really important, I think, for all of us to hear, but especially your generation. Because it's gonna get harder and harder and harder to stand for truth. It's gonna get less and less and less popular to say things like, you shouldn't sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you get married. That's already pretty unpopular, right? Or same-sex attraction is not of God or whatever it may be. Like, there's, there are so many things that God's communicating to us in scripture that are gonna get harder and harder to stand on. And so we have to operate with compassion. We have to operate with humility. But we also, we can't fall away from standing with God on, on what he communicates. And so that takes discernment, takes hearing God. Um, it takes being really vulnerable and humble. That's where the hum- humility piece comes in with compassion. It's like we can't go in like I know the way and I am right. We have to come in as I love God um, and this is what he's revealed to me and this is why I think it's best and I want it for you too in your life. Awesome. Okay, stand with me. We're gonna respond. Shoo, it's kind of hot in here. Anybody else toasty? Is it just me under these lights? It's just me under these lights. Okay, thanks. Um, so as we stand, you know, I want to I want to share this one one last scripture. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite us to respond. But just a chapter later, um, in in Micah chapter seven, toward the end of that passage, Micah writes that God delights in showing mercy. This is the delight of God to show mercy to his children. And so it should be the delight of us as well as his children to show mercy, to do justice and to show mercy. So let me pray for us and we're gonna gonna respond here. So Jesus, I thank you so much for what's represented in this room, God. I thank you for the destiny that's on this generation and the calling that's on them to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with their God. I thank you that you've called them to such a time as this and that you're equipping them for such a time as this. thank you, God, that they don't have to manufacture their, the kingdom of God, but they get to just draw near, love you, love mercy, do justice, and then watch you work in their culture, in their generation, and in their families. So I just pray that right now, even as we begin to respond, I just pray that any place where there, it feels like there's a burden, any place where it's felt heavy, like the weight of the world's problems are on their shoulders, God. Your word says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I just see that picture as we enter in here, I just see the God God lifting yokes of, you know, just the the pressure of the brokenness of the world. I see him lifting that yoke off of your shoulders. Those places where you feel like you're 
carrying the future of the world. And I just feel like he's saying, I, I got it. I got this. You come to me and you give me that burden and I'll carry it for you. And let me give you a better yoke. Just come walk with me. Come know who I am. Live out the justice of God in your lives. Live out the compassion of God in your lives. So thank you, Jesus, for you're beginning to do even now. And we respond to you now, God, because you're worthy of our lives. And here's how we're going to respond for a few minutes. Um, first, I just I felt like there may be some of us in the room who... Um, were like me in that encounter that I had with God who've just been burying things. There's hurt or grief or pain or trauma or whatever it may be, and you've been trying to kind of shove those things away and live your life, um, and it's and you know it's poisoning you. And God would just invite you to, to come and bury your soul before him and meet him in the hard and in the dark and just see who he can be for you. Um, and then what I just prayed, if you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world, you know, if you feel like the world's problems and your own problems and your family's problems and all these things are burdening you and you're weary and anxious, maybe depressed or tired, whatever it may be, and you're just like, I need to, I got to offload this burden. I got to give it back to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come. Um, if you feel like you're walking in, an unhealthy form of either justice or compassion, if you're being judgmental or self-righteous or if you're being permissive and, you know, um, just tolerant, even though it's not really that tolerant, right? Um, and you need to repent, I want to invite you to do that as well. Um, so let's, let's respond to God. Let's let him move in our hearts. And lastly, I would just say this. Um, I feel like this is like the launch pad into your retreat. Right? So this would be the last one that hopefully should get every single person in the room. But man, if you just want an encounter with God, like I, just, I just want to get wrecked by God. Like I, if, if humility is having a right perspective of who God is and who I am, then, then I need God to reveal himself to me, right? I want to, and so let's start now. Why, let's not wait till Friday. Like, let's not wait till tomorrow. Like, let's go. Like, let's get there with God. So come respond. Let's meet with Jesus.